0: Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Grisha Stewart is an author, dog trainer, and online dog school facilitator based in Oregon, who specializes in dog reactivity and canine empowerment. Through her work, she explores how the way we work together with our dogs can have positive impacts on one another, help us understand ourselves better, and the spiritual connections we share. Grisha, thank you so much today for joining us on Dog Save the People. How are you?
1: I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So my pleasure. Now, whereabouts are we speaking to you from?
1: I am in Eugene, Oregon close to Eugene, a town called Deadwood, which basically has no people in it, which is exactly what I like about it. <laughs> the people that are here are really lovely. Uh-huh. I actually am from Oregon. I've lived all over the world. I moved to Idaho and then Washington, Germany, Saipan, Alaska, and then back here.
0: Beautiful. It's beautiful country up there. So Grisha, growing up, did you have dogs? Was that something that was part of your experience?
1: I did. We actually had a lot of dogs. Our family wasn't really into neutering, and so we ended up with way too many mixed breed <laughs> dogs at one point. We had three <laughs> females that were pregnant all at once, and so we had something like 20 puppies. Oh wow. But we had a lot of land and space and rehomed a lot of them.
0: And what was your relationship like with them as a child and as as you were growing up?
1: They were definitely companions. We would go swimming together, adventures in the forest. And we had this one dog named Barney, who is a golden retriever. He would rescue us. So we would (laughs) pretend like we were drowning in the lake and then he would come out.
0: We grew up in a kind of like a suburban neighborhood. And my parents would just let our dog out. And the dog would basically just roam the neighborhood with the other dogs during the day. It was a very different time. And I remember as kids, a group of us were running around the woods with our dogs. And we were creating all of these games and stories, but they were really part of our pack. And we were a part of theirs. And it was really a very special time in my life.
1: Same, same. And I think it informed some of my work or kind of got me in the direction of some of my work. So I have a math and German double major as an undergrad. And then I went to graduate school for mathematics. And while I was getting the PhD, I just fell in love with dogs. rediscovered that I I loved them. Yes. So I got a, a dog and read 50 books in one summer and dog books really got into that then started taking classes and really wanted to get into that more. And so went on a leave of absence as a tenure track mathematics instructor at a college and became a dog trainer.
0: You had a company, Ahimsa Dog Training. And for those of us listening, what does the word Ahimsa mean?
1: Ahimsa is a Buddhist doctrine of nonviolence. And I actually picked that because I know that giving corrections can be very reinforcing to the person giving the correction. So the moment that we mm-hmm. you know, tell a dog no or lift them up in the air or whatever, like they stop their behavior, that little moment right. is a reinforcer for the person. And so I know it's very seductive yes. to get into punishment-based training. And I knew that myself and my trainers and hopefully my clients would not get sucked down that road if the whole business was named in such a way that it was all about nonviolence.
0: I'm somewhat versed in Buddhism and in yoga. And the word Ahimsa to me is such a powerful, beautiful word because it can be described or ascribed to so many different types of things like veganism, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just love that you've used that as part of your approach to dog training. Are you Buddhist yourself?
1: In my family home when I was growing up, instead of like jesus we had paramahansa yogananda as like the picture on our wall oh wow yeah
0: that's (laughs) awesome
1: if i were to pick a particular religion that i most practice i would say that i'm spiritual but i i pull a lot from buddhism and a lot from sort of yogic traditions
0: i was curious if you have a meditation practice and if you do do your dogs ever meditate with you
1: yes and yes have multiple practices, but one of the practices that I do is specifically with dogs. So I'll sit there with them and you know they're kind of squinched in next to me and either I'll have my hand on their belly or I'm just watching and just paying attention to their breathing. When we're, we're just paying attention to our own breathing, we tend to sort of control. So as soon as the mind is paying attention to the breathing then the breathing is now under the control of the mind. So simply observing is really hard. So by watching the dog and just noticing when their breathing switches from inhale to exhale or vice versa, right? Those little inflection points and just noting them. You can count them or note them and dropping all thoughts. So if any words come up in your mind, just say thank you to those and let those float by and refocusing attention back on the dog's breathing. It's super powerful as a practice for grounding.
0: It's interesting because a lot of times when I meditate, I'll say to my dogs, okay, we're going to meditate now. And they do tend to just chill. They like lay down, but I've never had my hand on my dog when I've been doing that. And I love that idea of bringing my attention to their breathing.
1: Do you really see the variation? Because it's not just inhale, exhale, like monotonously, Yeah, you know, there's variation in it.
0: What have you noticed about the way that dog behavior reflects back on us?
1: I don't think it's so much the dog behavior reflecting on us, but I think it's the way that we treat our dogs reflect back on us. Any relationship that we have is a reflection of our inner world. And so I think that the way that we treat our dogs is very similar to how we treat some aspect of our inner child. If we tell our dogs they can't have emotions, that's probably also what we're doing to ourselves. If we overprotect. We're probably overprotecting some part of ourselves because we get very identified with our dogs. And so a lot of times we get very ashamed of how our dogs are and then sort of clamp down on them. Or we get the opposite of people saying like, I want my dog to be free. And they let their dog do all kinds of things that are obnoxious to the rest of the world because they won't let themselves be free in ways that they want to be free. So it's really worth looking at the way that we are with our dogs.
0: So tell me a little bit more about bat behavioral adjustment training.
1: The dog that's sort of the original bat dog, Peanut, he is a or was a Whippet border collie mix. So black, mm-hmm. uh, about 35 pounds. And I got him when he was a puppy from the shelter at 10 weeks. He was a little kind of shy coming out of there. But definitely as we went into puppy class, started to realize he was not like the others. So very kind of hide in the corner sort of dog and ended up being reactive yeah. to people and dogs. And this is when I was starting to get into dog training. And so I was training up a storm and socializing him and doing all of the things that they said to do. And in hindsight, I overdid it. I was putting him in situations he wasn't ready for in the name of socialization. And so just because I was giving him treats and he was eating them and he was having a quote good time He was way too close to those things. He didn't have a chance to actually take in the information. Over time, then I developed bat for him. First developed it when he was seven, I think. And so worked on his fear of kids and and adult humans. And then he ended up going from like barking at people to being able to be a therapy dog in an elder care facility.
0: Well, that's beautiful.
1: And then at that point, then he was still somewhat barking at dogs. And so then that's when I developed the bat 2.0 with him and realized that What I had thought his threshold distance was, how close he could be to other dogs, was not what he wanted. So when I really gave him free reign to say, walk wherever you want to walk, he would walk further away from them. And so then over time, that bubble shrinks, which is what it does. When we have a sense of safety as mammals, we start to have pro-social skills. So once he knew that they weren't gonna, you know, everyone wasn't wasn't gonna come tackle him, then he started to be curious and then get closer and interact. He played with the puppy that I got next.
0: I love this idea of sort of really allowing the dog to embrace their curiosity rather than trying to somehow look at them or treat them as though they're humans.
1: That is basically, if you were to look at it from a distance, this is a way that we socialize dogs. Let the dog go at their own pace. The human follows the dog around. And then the human's main role is to be sort of a parachute. So if the dog's heading it like in a V line directly at the trigger, we'll slow them down but mostly just trying to not intervene too much. A lot of dog training is really about prompting and treating or correcting or any of those things. And I find that if we can just set the dog up to be in an environment where they're curious, then there's this natural effect of of healing and, and comfort that can happen and social skills start to emerge.
0: Grisha, did you see any changes in how people and or their dogs behave during and because of the pandemic?
1: So as people started to sort of avoid each other, there were pros and cons from that. For example, dogs who already had reactivity issues, it actually worked largely in their favor because people all of a sudden are aware of each other in the ways that dogs are. So they're giving each other space, which is exactly what those dogs wanted. On the flip side, there are dogs who didn't have reactivity issues, who aren't getting the socialization that they need. And they also get their people around a lot more they like having us around, but they don't maybe sleep as much, right? And dogs need about 17 hours of rest a day. And so if we're constantly, you know, moving around their house, that's hard for them. And then there are a lot of dogs who developed separation anxiety when people went back to work. Yes, exactly.
0: And for me, living in New York City, I spent the first four months pretty much alone in my apartment and or outside, but with my two dogs They were a big part of my meditation. They were a big part of my practice. During the pandemic in the early days, I would take many walks with my dogs and kind of walk around different parts of the city that I might not have seen otherwise or really noticed. And I started to almost look at the world through their eyes because I just had a lot of time on my hands and a lot of alone time with them. But I really like, I feel like we really bonded. But at the same time, when I started going back to work, it's been hard. It's been hard for me and possibly for them. And I feel curious to see sort of how that's going to even out or level out as the pandemic hopefully starts to diminish. And um, Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of very interesting sort of books and or studies similar to kind of what you're speaking about, about how this pandemic is going to affect our pets and our lives with our dogs.
1: Yeah, we actually have a webinar on the site called Pandemic Puppies for kind of how to avoid a lot of the problems that would occur during this time.
0: Now, Grisha, you mentioned your website and all of the wonderful webinars. What is your website?
1: It's just my name, grishastuart.com. And then we have an online school that's linked from there, school.grishastuart.com. We've got like 75 classes and growing right now.
0: Oh, I love it. That sounds amazing. And Grisha, where else can we find you online?
1: I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is just Grisha Stewart. Facebook, I have a page and a profile as well, and a YouTube channel.
0: Thank you so much for all of the beautiful gifts that you're bringing to both humans and to their companions. I always find it interesting to speak with people who are experts about dog behavior and psychology in particular, this relationship between our behavior, our connectivity, and dogs and dogs behavior and that incredible relationship of the two. And for me, it just helps me to learn so much about how to relate to my own dogs and in my own personal life. Thank you for listening to this episode of dog, save the people, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by as it should be a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. And special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also be able to find merch in our new online gift shop. This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address, bark at dogsavethepeople.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you.